a man who decided to take a walk, and it was kind of dusk, and so he he took off walking, and, and uh, in his thoughts, pretty soon it became dark, and uh, he could not see very well, and he stumbled, and he fell off the edge of a cliff. And as he was falling over the edge of that cliff, he was not knowing how long he was going to fall. He happened to catch a glance of a limb, a branch that was sticking out. He reached out with everything that's in him, and he grabbed the branch. And uh, he's stuck there, and uh, he starts calling out, Is anybody up there? Is anybody up there? And finally he... Luckily, here's a voice back says, yes, I'm up here. Can you help me? Yes, I can help you. Well, who, who are you? Well, this is the Lord. So, Lord, you can help me out of the predicament. Yes, I can help you. Well, Lord, what do I need to do? First of all, you need to let go of the branch. Is there anybody else up there? Today is going to be a challenge for some of us to let go of some branches that we're trusting in. And to let go of those is not easy. In the 15th century, Copernicus came up with this thought. And what he said was, before this time, everybody just assumed that everything rotated around the earth, that the earth was the center of the universe. Copernicus came and said, no, the earth is just a planet that revolves with many other planets around the sun. The earth is not the center of the universe. We so often think that the universe revolves around us. I think about these seniors, and they're lined up here. For 17, 18 years of their life, basically, they've been taught inadvertently that the world revolves around them. But it doesn't. And we need that Copernicus reality in our life that the world does not revolve around us. We we are currently called the selfie generation. I, I, I thought about selfies a little bit, so I wanted to kind of do some random uh, searches on selfies. Each day, 93 million selfies are posted. 93 million. The average person, the way it averages out, somebody's going to come up to me and say, I don't take selfies and that kind of stuff. But the average person, 450 a year. 450 selfies a year. The American Psychiatric Association says that a person that takes more than three selfies a day actually has a disorder. The American Psychiatric Association says that. There's a title that's come up called Selfieitis. And this is a title... For anybody that is considered a selfie junkie, selfieitis. Coming up on June the 21st is selfie day. How about that? So put that in your day timer and, and take a selfie on that day. 
In a seven-year span, 259 people died while taking selfies. Now, you know, you want that perfect shot on the edge of a cliff or with a rhino charging or something, and uh, it ends up costing you. 259 deaths in a seven-year span. And somebody may think, well, that's not that many. Consider this. In that same seven-year span, 50 people would, would die of shark attacks. So that lets you know that 259 is a lot of deaths from people just wanting the perfect shot. You see, we're addicted to self. We are addicted to self. And many people I talk about when this day of so much mass of humanity is moving into the Austin metro area, you know, five county area, 140 to 150 people a day are moving in and it's just crazy. And the traffic, uh, is just, uh, gotten so congested. You know, what used to be a 10 minute drive to my house now, depending on the timing, may take 20, 25 minutes and the house has not changed. The church campus has not changed. But many people I talk to think, oh, if I could just get some property out in the country, some acreage out in the uh, country, relocate my family out there, how great that would be. And my thought is, you know, it would be great to have acreage out there, but still, self is there. I can't blame my struggles on the mass of humanity. All I can blame them on is myself. And wherever I relocate to, self would be there and I would take my problems with me. Well, we've been looking at Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And this church had a, had a struggle. And if you have your Bibles or devices, I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We're calling this uh, message today Attitude Adjustment. And uh, we're looking at our attitude, but we've been talking about the secret of contentment. And today is one of those passages that if you were to tear everything out of the Bible except for Philippians 2, you could read Philippians 2 and get a whole uh, doctrinal theology salvation message right out of Philippians 2. So I'm going to read it, and sometimes I'm hesitant about bringing too much commentary to something that's so cut and dried. But in Philippians chapter 2, let me read a little bit, stop, and uh, we're going to go through verse 11 today, just so that you know. Verse 1, chapter 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let's stop right there. The church in Philippi had a struggle. It was a unity struggle. We know of two ladies in the church that were causing some divisions. They were struggling with unity. 
It's always interesting when somebody says, oh, I want to be a New Testament church. And I know what they're thinking about. They're thinking about when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, people had all things in common. That's, that's the way they look at it. But truly, when Paul wrote all of his letters in the New Testament, he was having to write them because these churches had problems. Whether you wanted to go to Corinth, which had a morality problem in the church, or you go to Philippi, which had a, a unity problem, they all had problems. And so, uh, don't, doesn't that sound like the applause of heaven? Uh, but the church in Philippi had a problem. And so Paul wants to address that problem because he wants them to be on the same page completely. Notice in verse 1, he, he mentions four things. He said, if any... Uh, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, he, what he's doing there, he's, he's saying basically this, remember how sweet it was when you first came to Christ. When you first had your sins forgiven, when you first came to that point of your conscience being cleared, new life in Christ, the encouragement, the, the walking with the Holy Spirit, Remember those things. You know, there's something I, I want to challenge you because life just beats us up sometimes. And the older we get, we lose some of the zeal. We lose some of our energy. We, we lose some of our memory. I hate to say that. But w- w- going back to remember what it was like. You know, that's why uh, when kids go to camp or Disciple Now or, or something and they come back and they, they have that what we call mountaintop experience, remember that moment. And, and I realize somebody will say, oh, you can't live on your feelings. That's where it's got to become faith. I, I, I agree with that, but there's nothing like those uni- initial uh, euphoric thoughts of, of what it was like to come to Christ. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, basically, remember where you were. Remember that because it had nothing to do with this disunity. It had everything to do with the excitement of knowing Christ. In fact, in Revelation chapter 2, the last book in the Bible written by John, there's seven letters that were addressed to seven different churches. One of them in chapter 2 was addressed to a church in Ephesus. And, and, uh, uh, Jesus basically is writing this letter, and he says, there's many great things about you, but this one thing I hold against you, if you've departed from your first love. And then he says this in Revelation 2, 5. He says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Go back. Just remember. I, I don't know how you can do that today. Remember the person that led you to Christ. Thank them. Remember just those moments that were there and and just uh, dwell on that. But then he says this, be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Basically, it's four different ways of saying the same thing. Be one in your mind. We're not looking for uniformity. You know, sometimes we... We think that if everybody was the same, everybody dressed the same, everybody had the same haircuts, uh, everybody was conservative in the way they did things, man, if we were all uniform, uh, things would be great. Listen, God is so diverse, 
I love God because he gave us different personalities. He gave us different skin colors. He gave us different passions. He gave us different things. And, and, and so we were never called to be uniform, but we are called to be of one mind. We are called to be unified in that. And that's what Paul is saying. I want you to have the same mind, the same love, fully accord and come together. And then in verse 3, he begins to talk about the unity destroyers. The unity destroyers. First of all, he mentions this. Selfish ambition. Now, what in the world is selfish ambition? Aren't you supposed to make the most of yourself? Aren't you supposed to promote yourself? Aren't you supposed to do these things? But he says, uh, uh, don't, don't let selfish ambition rule you. Basically, it's selfish ambition means rivalry or literally it's stepping on others for the advancement of yourself. Now tell me if we don't live in that culture. I mean, everybody tries to step on somebody to elevate themselves. And we live in this day of comparison mentality that we almost think if something bad happens to somebody else, it makes me look good. And so I would like them to have that. Well, that's selfish ambition. And then he says the second one is conceit. Now, what is conceit? Conceit, uh, in the old King James Bible, use the term vainglory. It's it actually, it's the exaggeration of yourself. It, it, you are a legend in your own mind. Basically, you, uh, uh, it, it's like Satan getting kicked out of heaven. It's like Eve sinning in the garden. It's all that pride. It's, it's exaggeration of who you are. Well, Mark, aren't we supposed to think good of ourselves? Aren't we supposed to do that? Yeah, we're, we're talking about it is exaggeration of the pride. And pride makes you the enemy of God is what scripture tells us. Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher who, uh, in the United States where we had the Great Awakening, he, it, during the middle of a Great Awakening, he was at a conference with about 800 men present. And this lady came up to him before and she said, Mr. Edwards, would you please pray for my husband? And she said, he is unloving, he is prideful, he is difficult. And so he promised that he would pray for her. She, he would pray for her husband. He got up and he began to speak. He said, this lady came to me and her husband uh, struggles with unloving. He's prideful and he's difficult. And I would like to pray for that man in this room. So would you stand up? Half of the men stood up. Because we all battle unloving, prideful, difficult. We, we are that way so often. We're, our eyes are internal. We're just looking at ourselves. I mean, who'd have ever thought that a, a, a generation would come along that thinks the most important thing on the internet is our Facebook page? And then we get into this sin of comparison that you compare your worst day to somebody's made up best day. And this comparison just takes us down. But then Paul begins to talk about the unity builders. And he says this. He says, 
but in humility. Now, we don't, we don't talk about humility very much. We think it's a weakness. We think it shows a, 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 a sign of us that is not good. But humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. You're willing to think about others. You're willing to put yourself on the sidelines. It's the lowly-minded ones. And he says this. In humility, consider others more significant than yourself. Consider others more important than yourself. I got this quote this week. Humility is not a weak man's surrender, but a strong man's rejection of selfishness. You see, it takes more to put self out of the way than it does to try to think less of yourself. It's a very difficult thing. And that's what Paul is saying. Your unity is going to revolve around your humility. And think of others as more significant, more important than yourself. Isn't that foreign today? I mean, we live in a day where everybody, my rights, my rights, my rights. And we just came out of the election. and Everybody's, my rights are trampled on. This is what's going to happen. Let me tell you something, Christian. Your rights are going to be trampled on even more. It's going to happen. So we, the, the, the antidote is humility. So here's your first thought to write down. Lack of Christian unity is a turnoff. Lack of Christian unity is a turnoff. Um, I, I got to thinking about those things that create confusion about Christians in our world. And I, and I was just thinking about those things. And I, I came up with four things that have to create confusion for a world. Because, you see, we talk about Jesus, who God is love and He is forgiveness and He is complete reconciliation. He is full of grace and mercy. And the world hears those things, but then they look at us and they're confused. I, I thought about four things. I thought about, first of all, is pride and arrogance. When, when Christians walk in pride and arrogance, it confuses the world. Secondly, hypocrisy. We preach one thing, but we live another thing. And, and, and that confuses the world. Thirdly, a judgmental spirit that we judge others. There's a lack of love, a lack of justice. And because of that, they get, um, they get confused. But the fourth one is this, disunity. When Christians cannot come together, that creates confusion for our world. And our world today is walking in confusion. And this is the reason is because so many believers have given them a false picture. And they, they think either it doesn't exist or those people really don't believe what they say they believe. And it creates a problem for them. So lack of Christian unity is a, a turnoff in our day. Well, let's go on to verse 5. We're going through verse 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me start at verses 10 and 11. This is what I believe according to the scriptures. Is that one day every man, woman, child is going to stand and then bow before Jesus. And they're going to declare he is Lord. Everyone. The problem is that it's going to be too late for some. You can bow now, or you can bow later, but He is Lord. And that is going to take place. But let's back up. How do we get there? Well, He says we are to have the same mind as Christ Jesus. The word mind here literally means attitude. The perfect model of the perfect attitude is Jesus. An attitude uh, refers to a set of emotions, beliefs, and behaviors toward a particular object, person, thing, or event. In other words, how you respond to something is your attitude. Now, when our kids were little, we would... Uh, little and then under their teen years... There are times we needed to have an attitude adjustment. You ever had an attitude adjustment? What you've got to do with an attitude adjustment is you've got to make it that type of attitude uncomfortable for them so that they're going to change. And we need an attitude adjustment. I think there are four types of attitudes in our world today. You ready for this? Number one is positive attitude. The, the glass is half full, it's getting fuller, we can do it, we can conquer anything, we, we got a good attitude. Secondly, there is the negative attitude. Uh, positive attitude, uh, uh, little children teach us about positive attitude all the time. You know, we can do that. Then, then there's the negative attitude, which also children teach us. Negative attitude is, why are we going to do that? You know, we can't do that. Why are, you know, there's just this negative attitude that's there. Rolling of the eyes. You, you ever been there? Uh, negative attitude. Thirdly, there's neutral attitude. Neutral attitude is basically, I, I don't have a big thought. I don't have a dog in the hunt here. Maybe, maybe it's so, maybe it's not so, but then there's a neutral attitude. Okay, I guess. But fourthly, there's a Christ-like attitude. I, I think it's different from anything that I've mentioned. Positive, negative, neutral. Christ-like attitude means that you're willing to put yourself on the sidelines so that you can lift up others and you're willing to do without. It bothers me when many Christians, I said this earlier, but many Christians think my rights have been trampled on. Sure. And they're going to be trampled on even more. But having a stinking thinking attitude is not going to fix that. We have got to have the mind of Christ who is willing to take 
the form that he took, the form of a servant, and he humbled himself to death on a cross. He emptied himself is what the Scripture says. He poured himself out. It's interesting, The word there's two words for form, and I don't want to get stuck in the weeds here, but... The first, he took the, he was in the form of God. Jesus has always been God. He was the agent of creation. He's always been. And that was his form. That's unchangeable. But he took on the display of us in these earth suits. Can you imagine the God of all glory limited himself to this? Sometimes people say, but can God really identify with a handicapped person? who's lost mobility. Good night. Think of the God of the universe in these. That's handicap. That's huge. He understands fully about that. But Jesus came as a servant. He didn't come as a king in all his royalty and riches. He came as a servant, a bond slave, and that's why he came. He's willing to serve others until he ultimately gave his life on a cross, which was total humiliation. This is the mindset we are to have. I didn't make this up. Oh, believe me, I would rather get up here and tell you just to act a certain way. But Paul's telling we need to die to self. We need to die to this self. And the Father's response was He exalted Him. He bestowed on Him the name which is above every name. Every knee will bow. Here's the second thought for you to write down. As followers of Jesus, we are called to have the mind of Christ. We are called to have the mind of Christ. The attitude of Christ who surrendered Himself. I just, I just wonder... If Christ followers took this serious today, how many wars would cease? How many marriages would be saved? How many families would not be fractured? How many unborn lives would be saved? How many friendships would be restored? If we took seriously to take on the mind of Christ. I have to ask myself though this. How in the world can I have the mind of Christ? Everybody who reads the Bible as a serious follower of Jesus knows that this flesh is very strong and it needs to die, this self. And we, need, we know that Christ needs to reign in our lives. I mean, this is Christianity 101. Sometimes we have been guilty of... Telling, especially children, you just walk the aisle, get baptized, that's it. Listen, we are called to live these lives out. You're not going to know what's truly inside of you until you're squeezed at some point. And then you'll see if you're truly a believer. These, these kids that are about to graduate, they've been in a youth ministry subculture. We've We've tried to cater to them as much as we can. Many of them are going to go off to school. They're going to go into jobs. They're going to go into the world. Then we're going to see what they're made of. 
We're going to see when the world hits them what's there. Have they been able to put that flesh aside and to let Christ reign in their lives? Basically, it's this. When self is on the throne, Christ is on the cross. But when Christ is on the throne, self is on the cross. In other words, who is on the throne of your life? Is it you? Be honest if it's you. But if it's Christ, we ought to be displaying that in humility. Here's my third and final thought. Where you set your focus, you will go. Where you set your focus, you will go. The enemy, Satan, the devil, the deceiver, whatever, the liar, whatever you want to call him, he wants you to focus on your addictions, on your shortcomings, on your sins. He wants you to focus on those. Focus on the flesh. Once again, it's all about self. So you look, and he wants you to look because that's what got him kicked out of heaven. So just look on self, self, self. Let that be your focus. And what happens is, is that many Christians find themselves in, in incredibly hard places because you're focusing on self and my shortcomings and this kind of stuff. I've got a, I've got a challenge for you. I don't want to be anywhere close to you with this challenge I'm about to give you. Next time you're driving, I want you to drive looking into the rearview mirror the whole time. Like I say, I don't want to even be close to you and see if you can do it. You see, what the enemy wants to do is he wants you to focus on self, self, self. And if you're focusing on self, you're looking in the rearview mirror trying to go forward and you're, you're gazing at the rearview mirror and you may glance in front of you, but you're gazing here. And I guarantee you, where you focus is where you're going to go. The Scriptures tell us and Paul challenges, let's focus on Christ. It doesn't mean that we're oblivious to the things here, but we focus, we put our gaze on Christ, we glance at this, but we gaze on Christ. And what eventually happens is that self starts to go and the things of earth do grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace as we see Him. That's what we're challenged to do as followers of Jesus. Christian means little Christ. We take the attitude and the mindset of Jesus Christ.